Hello, I'm AT. Welcome to the Bulldog Gear podcast, where we aim to open up conversations and create discussions around the practical habits, ethos, and philosophies of the most successful people in our industry. Here, we will endeavor to identify, unpack, and discuss the actions and habits of fiercely successful individuals in and around the fitness space in an attempt to create clear, actionable philosophies for you guys to experiment with and implement on your own journey of self-improvement. Welcome back, guys, on episode 26 of the Bulldog Gear podcast. We are joined by Emily Young. Emily is an endurance athlete, a triathlon coach, and an incredible triathlete in her own right who has raced on the world stage. We spoke about how Emily found herself involved in endurance sport, exercise, and mental health, the pitfalls of following common advice for endurance athletes as a female, and the future of endurance sports as a whole. It was a thoroughly enjoyable chat that I took a lot away from, and I hope you guys do too. Enjoy. Hello, Emily. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. How are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I mean, it's early on in the week. I feel like I'm already ready for the weekend, but... Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wishing your life away, mate. (laughs) So for anyone who doesn't know you that's listening, I wonder if you could give us a brief synopsis or as long as you like really about kind of who you are, what your background is and, um, you know, what your, what your specialist subject is. Yeah. Um, so I would describe myself as an amateur triathlete and I guess endurance athletes. I've been dabbling in a few ultras uh, this year since we've not really been allowed to do much else. Um, and I blog about it, I document it all and try encourage the general public, because if, if I can do ultras and Ironman events, then pretty much anyone can, I believe. Um, so it's just trying to kind of share my story, encourage other people to get a bit more active. And I have a full-time job on, alongside that. And I work in triathlon again. I really do love it um, as a social media manager for Super League Triathlon. So you're, uh, you're, you're pretty in deep in the, in the tri world. Yeah, very invested. It made me laugh that you just described yourself as an as an amateur triathlete. I think that's a, that is appropriate. Is that is that how you'd sum yourself up? Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess when you work with actual professional yeah. athletes on a day to day basis, it very much humbles you. Yeah, keeps you uh, gives you a good perspective. Yeah. So how did you get into um, to try and endurance initially? Um. A bit strange really because I was not into sport at all at school like I can't throw a catch to save my life I was just you know I was a PE teacher's worst nightmare and I just cared I didn't care at all for exercise and then really fickle but when I got to um, like uni um, it was like oh what can I do to kind of stay in shape when you're going out drinking every night so I started doing a bit of running and and I didn't like massively love it um, And then I'm going to give you the whole deep, long-winded story here, but like wrap it up as quick as I can, but suffered a little bit through uni with some mental health issues. And it was actually my dad, who was quite a keen cyclist and runner, who'd said to me, like, you know, you should really try going on a run and just like switching off from things like, you know, put these trainers on and we'll go on the trails. And I remember going on like an hour trail run with my dad, which felt like forever when you're not really doing much more than just like the odd 5k. And it was like an hour where I just thought I I genuinely didn't think about anything then, but in like a good way, you know, like it really was like such a release for me. And then it just kind of became my thing. Like I got really into it and it was like all 
very much trail running, no more roads, no more quick speeds. It's all just like, take it slow, make it really hilly, make it really tough, tie yourself out. And, and I just loved it. And then I'd like accidentally done the training for a marathon. So it was like, oh, you may as well do a marathon. And then most people, I guess, if you've done a marathon, the, you know, you get the bug. And my dad was training for an Ironman and I went to watch it. And I didn't swim or bike at the time, but I watched it and I was like, this is just nuts. Like, I absolutely have to do this. So then it was like, okay, let's get some swim lessons. Let's buy a bike and let's do an Ironman like two years later. <laughs> so kind do of you, fell into it a bit. Do you find now that kind of uh, the, without meaning to oversimplify it, the, the mental health benefits, do they stay with you now that despite the fact you take it a little bit more seriously, do you still find that you reap the same benefits from the training? hundred percent. Like if ever I get injured now, it's not like a, Oh, I'm injured. I can't train for the event that's coming up. It's like, how am I going to cope? Like mentally, like what, you know, what am I going to do? And that is actually the first and foremost is what I train for. I would say, um, as cliche as it is, like, I really do think it kind of keeps me healthy mentally more than anything. Yeah. I think a lot of people do that and possibly without even realizing, right? Like you have a focus on a goal or a pursuit, but really and truly in the background it's the it's the keeping you going and keeping you on balancing that yeah that keeps you coming back right definitely and especially this year like more than ever i've realized like being outside being active is just just so such a key part of my life so um in terms of your your race history i wonder if you could talk us through that a little bit yeah so i i did kind of jump straight in at the the long stuff because that's what interests me more I'm like I always joke that I don't have a fast bone in my body and I I don't think I do I'm very much like a my 5k pace is pretty similar to my marathon pace like it's just consistent and not ridiculously fast um so yeah I jumped straight in with with an Ironman and um I'd actually got like a stress fracture in my back the the months leading up to it so I couldn't run at all um before my first one which was a bit of a nightmare so the first run back was the marathon off the bike um, I mean, if people don't know who are listening, an Ironman's 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a marathon. Um, so quite a long way to have not run and then just do a marathon off the bike. Um, but I did quite well in my age group. And then in, in Ironman world, like if you win your age group, then you can get a slot at the world championship, which is in Kona and there's in Hawaii and there's so much history around it. It's like just a huge race. And I think doing the first one and then, and I came third and you kind of think, well, I didn't have the perfect prep. Not that anyone ever does. I was like, oh, it's, it's like, I can almost touch that. Like mm. it, you know, it's, it's not ridiculous. It's doable. Um, so five years of Ironman relentlessly training later, I did finally get my slot, but it was, it was that race. And I kind of, I also like to make, um, like for me, triathlon is like such a massive part of my life, but it's, it's like, I like to make holidays out of it, trips. It's a really good place, good way to see a place. Like yeah. you travel quite, quite a fair distance. So you actually see a lot of a country and then you obviously get to relax in it afterwards. Um, so I kind of pick destination races, like places I'd actually quite like to go. Um, so all of them have been quite nice. Apart from I did do uh, Bolton, the UK one, which is <laughs> What's wrong Which with is Bolton? slightly less glamorous, <laughs> yeah. I didn't quite have the weather. I, actually, ironically, it was the one I got the most burn on, which is quite ridiculous. But In, in Bolton? Um, yeah. It I've was never like, seen the sun there. <laughs> it was like headwind and rain the whole bike. And then the marathon, when you actually want it to be cool, it was mm. like scorching hot, which is ridiculous. 
Um, but yeah, and then I last uh, 2019, so the last oh, 2018, I think it was my qualifying race. I did. I went to Zurich, um, and ha- it was 37 degrees. There. I had a really bad race. I'd gone in with an ear infection, and I I came fourth. So I really wasn't that close to winning. And you know, when you kind of like in my head, I was like, this was my year that I was qualifying for Kona. Um, so at the airport, I'm looking through the races, what are coming up and most people would only do one for Ironman a year because it takes quite a lot out of your body. I think even pros only do like two or three max. Um, so I was like looking through races, like where is the, the next one that I can, I've got entries still for. And one of them was Taiwan, which is a bit wild, but I thought, well, Taiwan sounds like a cool place to go. Um, so eight weeks later, flew to Taiwan had the weirdest trip of my life, but actually managed to to win there, which was great. So then I got to go to Hawaii um, the year after. And that was actually the last Kona that's happened because it, I got in there just before COVID, which was like nice. selfishly. Yeah. yeah, I'm so happy about that. And then the last year I've been dabbling with ultras because they've gone ahead, which has been nice. Bit of a different challenge. That's really cool. I think we, had, we met at um, a Red Bull like a Red Bull conference, I think. And it was... I yeah, the Ross Edgeley. Yeah, I think you hadn't qualified yet. No. If I'm remembering I'm... correctly, I think, yeah, you were talking about... I don't know if it was post-Zurich. I can't remember I think, the ins and outs. I think it actually but... might have been before. Because yeah. I remember Ross like, oh, have you ever thought about doing a triathlon with a tree on your back? That was yeah. his response. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. That's not going to hurt your chances of qualifying at all. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I wonder if you, because as you mentioned, like Kona has has got like a, a rich history, and it's a it's a big it's a big deal culturally in Tri, right? So how was that for you? Yeah, it was. It honestly was like everything I dreamed of and more. I kind of didn't. I when I did actually get my Kona slot in Taiwan, I remember coming home and being like, I'm not even bothered about doing the race. It was just the the process of getting the you know the coin to get there for me like I don't think anything could top this feeling and I got to Hawaii and I was so wrong like even even the week before the race had already topped everything I you know hoped it would be there's it's like the whole island is is a part of it like every shop you go into if they see that you've got that athlete wristband they they they're like locals like wish you the spirit of the island and like you know it's very kind of like holistic and spiritual and um you know they all kind of make a big deal out of it so it makes you it does kind of make you feel like it is such a monumentous special event and they have loads of really cool things like there's a coffee boat in the middle of the ocean that you swim out to and um you run in underpants down the street as like a race which is like two days before the event um there's just so much song and dance about it and it, it really does live up to the hype like it was and the actual race, which I realize I've not even mentioned in that spiel. No, I think um, I was actually going to get onto that as a point yeah. that you've not even <laughs> spoken about the race, but please continue. Yeah, the race, the race is, I have to admit, it's like almost a slightly boring course. Like, I guess if it wasn't Hawaii, you wouldn't be that bothered about it. But I guess you just feel so privileged to be there. It's, but it's a very tough course. It's um, really, really windy. Like, the, the it's like almost it's not even, it's like crosswinds, but from every direction and it just, it's tough and it's quite hilly. And then the run is very hilly, but you run through like lava fields. So it's just black and just hot. Um, you come out like a, a burnt cinder basically, but, but it is fantastic. And like the sea is amazing. There's, you know, when, when I wrapped my bike, I saw dolphins, like it's 
pretty pretty incredible well did you do you did you feel the kind of pressure of the stage you were on there or was it a case of kind of you've made it the Kona and that was the goal yeah for me it was like I want to enjoy every single second of that race you know the people who I'm competing against are like top one percent in the world like most of them here are going to be trying to go pro at some point in their life if they're not already um and I knew I'm kind of you know I'm on the very bottom of that bracket so it was just like enjoy the whole experience love every second of it and just I didn't even care if it had taken me to the cutoff almost like it was just I just wanted to enjoy it so and it's funny as well because you like you know that whole like imposter syndrome thing you never feel like more of a a fraud or an amateur than when you're amongst the like tanned sculpted athletes in Hawaii it's just mental I think this is why I laughed when you introed yourself and I do completely understand as a amateur triathlete because I was like well you've been to Kona <laughs> like for most people who are like even considering any sort of you know ultra or try you know any sort of triathlon that's pretty up there like a, a huge experience you, you mentioned something there I wasn't planning on going in this direction but that it's really got me thinking this idea of um, picking places or picking races that you want to kind of go and see the places and building your holidays around that. I find that really, uh, really interesting, you know, for people who perhaps aren't so inclined to do the classic, like all inclusive beach holiday thing, um, maybe a little bit more adventurous. I think that's a really cool thing to do. Uh, what kind of got you into that? Was that something you thought about consciously from the beginning or? Yeah, from the beginning, like it's a little bit easier now because I've got a few sponsors and, you know, I blog about it, which helps. But when I first started out, like it's an incredibly expensive sport and whether you do it in the UK or not, like just to enter is about £600 per race, I think. Um, And there's not that many races in the UK. So you, you tend to travel and then you've got hotel fees and flights. So you are essentially using the money you would use on a holiday. So for me, it just made sense. Like, that would be my holiday. And don't get me wrong, some of them I've then flown on to, to places that are close by to have a bit more of a relax or whatever. But it, it is good because you, you really do end up, like Taiwan, it, Taiwan where we raced was an island called Pengu and people who'd been going to Taiwan for years who I spoke to had never even heard of Pengu. It's almost like you would go to places you would just never even consider, but then you get to go and you get to see loads of it. And there's obviously a reason that they put a race on there. There's obviously something about it that's good. So yeah, it's been actually really nice. Like, and most of my most memorable holidays have come from races because you, you just feel like you've, you've just achieved something as well. And I'm not a lie on the beach and chill kind of girl at all. Um, the, in fact, the most frustrating thing about it is when you get there a few days before, you kind of obviously want to stay off your legs a bit. And I'm like the person who goes on a holiday and is like, let's hike up there, let's go there. And you kind of have to rein it in for the past few days. But yeah, so it's a really good way, good excuse to travel. I, I love doing it that way. Yeah, I, I think that's incredible. I was, I was booked on to do a, a half Ironman last year and it never even really occurred to me to kind of make it a bit of a bigger a bigger step in fact i i don't know how it 
I hadn't thought of it because I was thinking the whole time that oh, I'm going to be on my own. I'm going to do the race. I'm literally going to come home. And I was like, the logistics of that in my head were like, oh, that's like wasteful. And I not not for one second did I think just stay the week. Um, yeah. So that's yeah, that's really cool. That's given me a lot of pause for thought there. And I guess that's something that you can apply beyond try as well, right? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Loads of events. I I always look for like what run events and things because. Just it's even just a good day activity. You know, it sounds a bit mental, but yeah, yeah, and it's something to remember that that holiday by, right? Even as yeah. you say, even if it's just you know not just, but if there's like a run event that's perhaps a slight bit smaller, I guess it stops the holidays from sort of blurring into one, which I can imagine yeah. happens for a lot of people when they go to the same place year in year out and just eat from the eat from the buffet and lay on the beach. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is my idea of a nightmare, but uh, everyone has a different. <laughs> yeah, I'm right with you there. So, what does your um, what does your training look like on a, a we? Obviously, you mentioned that now you've got um, slightly different goals, but when you were, let's say, when you were training to qualify for Kona, what would a normal training week for you look like? I would say in the winter months, like what you'd say off season is, I kind of sit between 10 and 12 hours a week. And then the peak months before the race, I'd get up to about 20 because I was always balancing this alongside a full-time job. So you've kind of got to work with what you've got. Um, I have a triathlon coach now, which I didn't have in the first year. Um, But after that first year, I I took one on and um, he's really good. And he very much fits it around my lifestyle, which you obviously need. I would say like the Monday to Friday or Friday was generally a rest day before a big weekend, but Monday to Thursday was kind of like my shorter bike sessions that would be done inside, like on a turbo. So they'd be very specific and like, you know, to, to a certain wattage or pace or whatever. So they're the like more structured ones and same, I'd maybe have a faster run like a track session in the week and all my swims would be done in the week. Um, and then my weekend when it gets closer to a race is, where I get the volume in. So I would go out and actually do like 112 miles on the bike, you know, replicate the route, not the route, sorry, but the distance and then a brick brick session off the back. So maybe run for an hour or so after. And then the Sunday would maybe be a long run. Um, and it's, it's funny with Ironman or the way I've always approached it with through a coach is when you're training for a marathon, you maybe go up to like 20 miles on the run. But when you're training for an Ironman, even though you do a marathon, I never quite go up to that on the, on the run. Yeah. Um, you just end up doing about two hours. Uh, so more in hours base rather than mileage uh, is generally my plan. Um, what, what's your kind of rationale behind that in terms of not taking the, uh, the distance that close? Uh, on the run? Yeah. <sighs> to be honest, it's more like it's what it takes out of you because you, yeah. you're already so tired. And it's like, for me, my approach has always been like time on the legs it's, it's kind of like as much volume as you can get in, but then still with the key specific sessions through the week that are more like intense. Um, but certainly for like my first few years, years of like building up a base, I was really keen on just like the runs being not as long, but you, you'll have done a big bike the day before. So you don't kind of need to take it that far. Yeah. And I guess it's going to impact your more structured sessions throughout the week, right? Yeah, exactly. Did uh, or did or does um, strength training play any part in your in your prep? Yeah, um, I say, can I do like a bit of a shameless plug here? Because you feel can do it's, whatever you yeah. like. 
Um, so I actually only set this up this, this last year, like officially, but I um, created a, a kind of side business um, called Cadence and Cake. And it's essentially a strength program, strength and Pilates for triathletes, because I've kind of identified over the few years that I've been doing it, that it's a real struggle when you are fitting in swim, bike, run and a job and a social life and whatever, um, strength training is the first thing to go because you always kind of think or get, you know, get more out of a bike if I'm doing an Ironman, um, a bike session. So I created this program where it's like two strength sessions a week. They are honestly like 30, 40 minutes, really specific to triathlon as much like bang for your buck exercises, you know, like everything's pretty much single leg and, and then a Pilates um, workout, because I think I mentioned earlier, I got a stress fracture in my back and Pilates was like the best rehab um, ever. So I got qualified in it and now like swear by it for triathletes. Um, so yeah, I created this program, two strength sessions a week and a Pilates session a week. So in total, you're doing less than two hours of it. But I think it's like, you know, the, the minimum that you need, but like really effective. Um, and I've kind of always stuck by that of even though it wasn't officially a thing that I created for the people back then I've kind of always stuck to at least two strength sessions and a Pilates session a week um, and that kind of sees me through and if I ever have a period off like this last year I moved flats and I was in between London and Yorkshire and I didn't have access to a gym or any home equipment because I didn't really have a base it was like the first time in years I'd picked up an injury and I just know it's because I've neglected the strength so yes, yeah, it's, it's quite key for me, even though I don't like do huge amounts of it. It's still like a very consistent feature in my plan. Yeah. That's something that that idea of the strength training going down and your injury risk increasing is something that I hear, like I'm obviously privileged enough to talk to a lot of people like yourself across different sports. It's always the same story. And I, I, I think it's sometime, I think particularly in your sport, it's because you're spending a lot of time training anyway. If you're doing 20 hours a week, that is a, you know, it's a huge volume of training and things are going to go, aren't they? But um, there's, I think sometimes even if it's just in the language, like we call it strength training. If we were to just talk about durability training or injury proofing, I reckon a lot more people would like on board with it. Just yeah. okay. And it's always the same story, isn't it? People get injured and they realize, oh, perhaps I should have been doing more single leg work or etc. definitely i think particularly i don't know why but i also like feel like in triathlon it's a little bit backwards as well like no one's you know it, a lot of coaches just don't even consider it in their plans which is mental yeah i think across a lot a lot of sports it's that it's the same thing you haven't got to go back many years well i don't know you've got to go back a few years to a time when in some sports it was almost like frowned upon like to yeah. augment yourself there's some like there's some sort of huge performance enhancing uh yeah that's that's absolutely bizarre to me and i, I guess it's a cultural thing isn't it and it's just it will it will just age out and much more i think now especially where people are coming from strength sports into triathlon with a background of that then you'll see perhaps other other people who are solely triathlon based looking and going, well, hold on, like this dude's doing yeah. something that perhaps I should be doing. Yeah, definitely. And I, like, I don't think it's like a substitute, you know, you can't, you've got to actually do the miles in, but certainly as someone who's maybe got a few years of base training under the belt, like 
I was a prime example this weekend. I actually did an ultra and I knew, you know, I'd done less mileage than I should have done. Um, or like I would have liked to have done just because a few things got in the way and I was a bit nervous, but I had been really consistent with my strength program. So like, okay, I might feel a little bit worse afterwards, but I know I'll always suffer the miles out. I'll always get them done, but it's more, or oh, will my knee go? Uh, will my ankle go? But I think because I'd been so consistent with my strength program, I felt great. Like it's what Tuesday and my legs feel like fresh as a daisy. It almost like I didn't even do one. And I honestly think that's the strength. Yeah, I think people underestimate the the buffer that having a good base level of strength can give you. Like you say, you you might not have gone out to that that volume. You might have hit seventy, even eighty percent. But where most people might hit that wall, where they're kind of getting into injury risk territory, or they're just going to bonk, or they're just they're not going to be able to handle the volume. If you've got that good base of strength, it gives you something to eat into, doesn't it? Like I'm yeah. I'm the same. There's things I'm like, oh that's way out and beyond anything I've done before but I know like you said you'll suffer through it and you'll feel a bit worse the next day than perhaps if you're a bit more prepared but yeah. you're not going to hurt yourself definitely yeah. you, you spoke about that kind of minimal effective dose uh, obviously you're you're trying to be as efficient as possible with your strength work what are the things that you through um you said cadence and cake right yeah. So what, what is it that you kind of see as the most bang for your buck um, movements or perhaps way to program? That, how do you see that? So I pretty much try set everything and like every session is full body, but it's very much split into like squat variation and hamstring variation to split the two days up as like the main focal points. And then it's just building exercise up around that and like a lot of band work, you know, like for swimming, a lot of rotator cuff, like really small, like, you know, the bits that are often neglected, like the less sexy exercises, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, like pretty much everything is, is single, is single leg split squats, variations of that step ups. Like, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel. It's all just like simple stuff, but it's what I think is, is that bang for your buck. Yeah. That, that's, I think that another reason perhaps why strength training is not, kind of merged very well is that everything that so I say we but everything that's done like traditionally in the gym is very anterior based right there's a lot of so much pushing and uh, yeah maybe this isn't so much the case anymore with the rise and rise of functional training but kind of training those you know what you can see in the mirror it's it's useless in a way isn't it for building durability for endurance and a, a posterior focus is kind of much yeah. more important. I think as we're seeing that becoming more relevant in strength training, hopefully that will attract people will see the benefits um, for their endurance training. Yeah, definitely. And I guess it's like, it's what the goal is, right? Like if I was training purely for aesthetics, I would not be doing my cadence and cake program. You know, I'd, I'd probably be flogging myself a bit more in the gym and I'd be doing everything a, a lot heavier and whatever. But I think when you are literally fitting this to supplement a different sport, then it is, it's what's, you know, going to injury proof you, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So even for people who perhaps don't, um, you know, they're just dabbling, let's say they're just dabbling. I want to go into this in a minute, but do you, do you think there's a, a benefit for those people to overhaul their strength training? Let's say they're training already and they're, they're kind of getting into trying and putting in the hours on the bike on the feet in the pool. Is there a benefit 
for them to re kind of re-examine what they're doing strength training wise, even if they're training already? I think, I mean, one thing that I like would always say is, is to put Pilates into the program, which it is a form of strength. It's not, you know, like a traditional, what you, what you think of it when you say it, but, and, and I'm first to admit it's the most boring way to train and I don't love it. But I, I really think it's so impactful for, for that kind of sport. Um, it really is like you create so many imbalances and Pilates like really shows you exactly where they are and like doesn't let you get away with them, if that makes sense. And, and also just like the for me, it was the spine, like Pilates is so focused around around the back. And, you know, you if you're in an aggressive TT position, for example, or running off the bike when you're tired, you know, you can actually really do some damage in your back and your form is the first thing to go. So maybe if that, you know, if their sunscreen is working great, but I would, I would definitely consider putting Pilates in the program. For anyone who's kind of not familiar, I wonder if you could just talk us through Pilates a little bit or how, how you utilize it and uh, kind of in a sport specific nature. Cause I think with things like Pilates, things like yoga, they've already got a name and um, there's yeah. a, probably, and then this is going to be amongst men primarily. There's that in, there's that kind of like, well, I don't do all of that stuff uh, without kind of even like, you can't see if you're listening to this, but I'm like pulling my hair out without kind of even looking into what it actually is. Um, yeah. How does it work for you? How do you apply it? And, and what do you view Pilates as through the lens of, of what you do? So Pilates, I think they do just get grouped together with yoga. Mm. And I am not disregarding yoga. I think it's great. But um, Pilates is like, it's not about flexibility. You know, you will, you know, hopefully increase flexibility through a byproduct of it a little bit. But it is more about strength and really small controlled movements. Um, and they're the, they're the bits that we neglect often when we come to a strength program, like your adductors, you know, if you're running, it's probably one of the fast things that's going to go, but how many exercises in the gym, like how many times, you know, how many times are you working your adductors in isolation in Pilates? You are, and you're doing it quite frequently. The same with like the lumbar region of the spine and all those like intercostal muscles around it, protecting it. A lot of abdominal muscles, I think traditionally that you would work in the gym or even if you're just doing it through squatting or whatever, you know, like your big compound lifts, it's not as like, for me, I just don't think it's as like impactful as some of the Pilates exercises that we do. And, and I don't spend ages doing it. They're like 20 minute sessions, if that, and you really can do them. You don't even have to do a full session. It can actually be, you know, you're watching TV, let's lie in the front and do a few, you know, back extensor exercises. Um, but it kind of forces you to to work those smaller controlled muscles that I don't think you necessarily would think to do within a strength program or in the gym. Um, so yeah, I, I just it's it's been so beneficial for me. And like I said, I had quite a it was quite a bad injury in my in my spine, and it's almost one of those ones that a lot of physios had said to me, you'll kind of battle with it forever. You know, like you'll always have to be cautious or you'll have to do extra work around it. And having kept Pilates in my program. It's like I never even had one. I never have any issue with my back and, you know, I'm bent over a bike for six hours. So I think for me, I just think it's, it's really worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. I think with traditional, like you touched on it there with like, you know, there's a, there's a, not a misconception, but there's kind of a myth that gets got sort of perpetuated in fitness and by some pretty good coaches as well that you know you don't need core movements you don't need to do this you don't need to do that just hit your big compound lifts where i see a disconnect is that 
people particularly with big lifts big squats big deadlifts that sort of thing we're also so programmed and so indoctrinated into like this is how you need to do it anything that deviates from this is unsafe that you never find yourself in these um odd uncomfortable positions that you're going to be in and like you say if you're in an aggressive position on your like you know on your bike you're never going to put yourself in that position because people are so shit scared to do it in the gym that suddenly they're in this position involuntarily and they don't have the strength to they, they can't be strong in that position because they've never allowed themselves to be in that position and i guess that's where pilates can really fill those gaps right yeah and i guess like the whole concept of functional training it's like functional for what they're like everyone of what they need it to be functional for is different at like whatever the sport like for me it would make no sense to go in and do like astagrass squats like i only really need to go to box level for example and i'd probably if i'm only squatting once a week i'd probably be better off doing a split squat you know so it's like functional for what yeah yeah that that is a that's a phrase i actually throw around and use as a retort all the time like what what's that what's that functional for like what is all that barbell work sure if you it's functional for barbell work that's what it is it's great if yeah. you, you know competing crossfit or whatever but yeah as you say like a more unilateral work or not even and this one is a is a huge thing you i'm glad you said it that kind of that this idea that you've always got to be squatting ass to grass when there, there are literally movements called like athletic squats where you don't do that yeah. you know there's an argument for a training different ranges of motion for different outcomes right yeah exactly so what are the what are the key movements that you include in your in your strength training i would say rear foot elevated split squat step ups because i do a lot of like certainly now with a lot of ultras i'm doing a lot more climbing um i'd go back to pilates like a lot of isolated adductor work like you know leg lifts literally um I do, oh, what else are key for me? RDLs for me, like I have a, I have a very dom- like quad dominated um, legs basically. And obviously I, I need my hamstrings like pull up on the bike and I see that's where I'm inefficient. So I actually do a lot of, a lot of work um, there, I'd say, key for me. And what, what about the upper body? Is there any sort of focus on that? I think upper body for me is more like maintenance and like I said, like rotator cuff and anything for the swim. Like I actually, I, I don't even know if it's out of like more aesthetics or just like say enjoying doing them, but like chins and pull-ups, like yeah. I tell myself it's like really effective for my swimming, but I just like doing it basically. Yeah. Um, I do feel like I get a lot of the strength work from my swimming though. Like I hate that when triathletes say that like, oh, I don't need to do strength training because I run or I don't need to do strength training because I cycle. It's kind of the opposite of everything you've just said, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. But I think, I think like I do a lot with the paddles as well. So, and like banded work, warm-ups. Um, the whole, like all of my canes and kicks, like strength programs there, it's like a full mix. It's full body. Yeah, I do, I do really, I think probably pull-ups are a they're pretty accessible if you can do them and the the postural benefits i think for endurance training for running having that strong mid back having those strong lats i think people underestimate um how much your upper body has to do when you're running particularly and if your posture goes you're just inefficient right if you if you lose your posture you're you're essentially just towing your upper body along and i pull-ups and possibly kettlebell swings 
for me, I think are incredible exercises for what I know when I've done endurance training, there's a few things that I'm like, these things have to stay in and pull-ups is one of, one of the first ones. Like you say, there's some good, uh, aesthetic benefits. Um, yeah. It's also as well, like when you are like what I suffer with the most in like that aggressive TT mm. bike position is like my traps, they just get so unbelievably tight. So it's kind of like making sure everything is strong. Um, so they, they don't feel as uncomfortable in that position, even though they always do. But yeah, I think ton, like a lot, most of us now tend to be really trap dominant because we walk, you know, we're like this all day carrying so much tension and having that strong mid back, having those strong rhomboids really takes the, does take the yeah. edge off of it. Right. Yeah. And I totally concur anytime I've spent a long time on the bike and I've got, you know, reasonably good sort of upper back strength. Um, that like, yeah, that kind of you and you, hunch up into it as well don't you as soon as you feel it like your your inclination is to just shrug up and out of it which just makes it worse and i think anyone yeah. that's not doing upper back training and they're spending a lot of time either on the bike or running is massively missing a trick yeah i agree yeah so with your um more ultra based uh, endeavors now what's kind of led you down that path i'd always said that i was once i'd done Kona I was actually going to have a year off full Ironman because it's like it is quite a commitment with your like well it does kind of take over your whole year and it can be quite antisocial when the volume gets quite quite big on a weekend um so I said I was going to have a year off and then Covid happened so I kind of got forced into a year off anyway or two (laughs) um and it was always going to be the yeah it's always (laughs) going to be the year that I did try an ultra because running is my favorite of the three um and I like my you know my favorite place to train is like Chamonix like long day like long days in the mountains so it just kind of made sense to have a dabble at at ultras um so I did my first one in November I did a 55 miler um one called Hardmores and they're like notoriously a hard uh, ultra circuits um and it was really good it was I really enjoyed it but like I said I did suffer I paid the price of it was it was literally just after that like month to two month stint I'd had for the first time in years where I'd not been consistent with my strength. And I think I got to like mile 23 and my IT band just like flared up. So I had a good 30 odd miles of pure pain up and downhill, but, but suffered through it. And it was like, it was a classic as soon as you finished, even though I can't walk, when am I doing the next one? I signed up for an 80 miler literally the week after and I still had my leg like resting on a chair with ice packs on it. <laughs> You sort of ride that delirious high, don't you? Where you, you haven't yeah. quite figured out that maybe that wasn't a good idea yet. And uh, yeah, what are the what Definitely. are the things that sort of go through your head when you're on a longer race like that? How do you keep yourself kind of um, mindful, but like avoiding kind of negative self-talk? I, I break it down into like really manageable chunks. Like I, I, you can't think about the finish line in another 30 miles or 40 miles. It's got to be like, the next eight miles to the next checkpoint and it's like I'm quite practical of like what nutrition do I need to take on like how's my stomach feeling when was the last time I had a drink so I kind of like checklist all that stuff off but a lot of people ask me this because I don't train with music or anything like I for me a long run is like I actually really need a long run to digest my thoughts for the week of everything or life um so an ultra is like a really good time to do all that um I did, I actually, I did one on Saturday, I think I said, and it, my dad runs them as well. So me and him actually ran the whole thing together. It's four to seven miles. And that was just like, 
and it's a bit strange but we both said afterwards like oh wasn't that like a nice dad daughter activity like to just like chat and catch up for eight hours <laughs> yeah no that, that that's lovely do you is that your preference to be able to do it with someone or you do you kind of try and be indifferent yeah I don't mind like the 55 because my dad did that too but I left him because I was I still do get a bit competitive like if I if I know I'm doing all right in the in the <laughs> females like I will leave um but it is it does make a for a race like that I think it's a lot nicer to to chat the way around because you do kind of go into that dark place at some point you definitely have peaks and troughs with your emotions and it's quite nice to have someone there especially someone who does know you as a person and knows when to like just not talk to you and then when to talk to you um but long runs on my own I actually like training runs I quite like to do maybe every other one on my own I think sometimes you just need it to like clear your head yeah and I think it's it's always good to have that the preparation of kind of knowing what you're like on your own in the locker. And the same, you said it there, the same with um, training without music. I know people like to, there's like a, like a really popular meme, isn't there about like people who don't train with music are psychopaths and or people who train yeah. without music are psychopaths. But I always think like, it's a bit of a crutch. And if you can't go to the gym without music, like, or can't run or you can't train without music, that's a bit weird to me. Like, well, I think Very two odd. things. I'm like, one, when people in a marathon wear them, I always think, God, the atmosphere is so good around you. Yeah. Like, what are you missing out on all that? And then on an Ironman, you're not allowed to use them. So I think, mm. why would you train with it? Because then if, when you really are struggling and you felt like you, before you had that like song that got you going, if you don't have that, then you're going to mentally be in a worse place. So I just never have really. It is, that's almost like turning up on race day and like having a new pair of shoes right like you you're you've not done this before this is going to be a new yeah. experience for you and it might be fine exactly. like it might be spot on but every likelihood is it's going to get weird yeah like control the controllables right yeah yeah definitely how um big a part does nutrition play in your training for me i'm probably the worst person you could ask this because i think anyone else who you know does competes at i or whatever is probably a lot more structured than I am but for a few reasons like I am generally quite a, like organized chaos person like I'm very wing it I'm very just see how it pans out um but there's also been quite a few experiences on races where the plan I have had hasn't gone to plan like I remember Bolton instead of having most of my nutrition in on my bike or in a you know in a bottle with gels which I do now had a lot of it in my jersey on my tri suit and it fell out and then that freaked me out because I was like, oh, I trained with that nutrition and now I'm going to have to use the aid station ones. And I felt like mentally that stressed me out. And, and then I flew to Taiwan and like, you just kind of take for granted, like I've mainly raced in Europe. You can always count on the fact that you're going to get like a pizza or pasta somewhere. And then you go to Taiwan and you quite literally don't know what you're eating. So it was like, I've kind of now just like, I, I will, I train on anything. I kind of have my stomach ready for everything. Um, and I'm quite relaxed about it. Like the only thing I'm militant about is I eat like every 20 minutes on the bike. And for the last three hours, I switch from solids to gels, um, just to like make the run a bit easier. And then by the run, I generally shovel whatever I can eat. Cause usually my stomach's kind of gone by that point. Um, and same with an ultra, I just go with food that I'm actually going to enjoy and remember to eat frequently and drink. So it's like a very relaxed approach to it, I would say. 
yeah, you, you kind of made your, your peace with the fact that it's not always going to be perfect. Right? I think that does mess with a lot of people's head. Like it's like the best laid plans of mice and men. And some people go to pot, don't they, when it, it goes out the window. And I think you need yeah. to be cool with that, don't you? Yeah, I was, when we were in Taiwan, they'd like, there was really bad weather. There was a typhoon nearby. So it, like, it messed the course up, as in like, we had to start an hour later. And it, there was a guy who had like, got his nutrition to a T. He'd gone all, to all the testing. He knew what his, the salt ratio sweated out. He knew he could only have like, liquid breakfast and had 1,000 like, calories with breakfast, but had to wake up at 3 a.m. before, and it was the exact amount of hours. And then the race got changed, like, pushed back an hour or sat off in different waves or whatever it was. And I've honestly never seen a grown man so distressed in my life over his nutrition. And I just thought, your head's gone and you've, like, got, you've got 140 miles to go. And you're literally already, you've, you've written yourself off. I could just see the stress. And I just thought, it's just not worth it. Like, Yeah, yeah. I think it's Mike Tyson that said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face yeah and you know you can have a roll with it or you can let it get inside your head right and then you're not only have you fucked up but you now have got a poor mindset too yeah exactly the only thing i guess as well like uh, for training wise i'm like i've definitely learned over the years and like quite done quite a bit of research i think because it's like quite a male dominated sport or it's not some it's getting better but you kind of everything you read about sports nutrition because i am really interested in it even if i don't necessarily take it too seriously you're a girl um, after my own heart there yeah <laughs> yeah well i think like certainly over the last two years it's like doing more research on like female focus like you know women are not small men as um stacy i can't remember her last name says but it's you know a lot of the triathlon books or nutrition books are kind of aimed at men and like we do need to feel slightly differently and you know fasted training which i used to do not for you know uh, aesthetic reasons but more like um what's the word just like ease um i don't do now and yeah. i make sure like that recovery window i do actually you know i know men can perhaps have it like refuel a bit later in the day but for women it's like a smaller window and things like that and i i don't do anything fasted anymore um, which is like probably the biggest change that I've made in the last few years and like I'm quite strict with. Yeah, I think that that's great what you just touched on there. I mean, it's not even specific to triathlon, but just studies, sports science in general. So much is geared towards um, men. And like, you know, there's political reasons for it, but there's also just that a lot of these studies were done years and years and years ago and they were done in colleges and unfortunately at the time the demographic of colleges was men yeah that's it and uh it, it's amazing how uh all of this stuff has has carried forward because it's science and people are so like i'm evidence-based without looking at the fact that this is never like this is like you say women are not just small men like there's general yeah. there's generalities but sometimes a different approach as you touched on there with, with fasting it's not the same fasting in general leaving your body about calories for a decent period of time does not affect females the same way it affects males but the science says xyz and we all just follow it and without any kind of look at this has never been tested on women yeah. And it's like who you're around. Like I, I started training because I like copied my dad. So it's like, Oh, what do you do? What do you, yeah. you know, how do you refuel? And, and it's, it's just not the same. Um, 
So, yeah. Are there, are there anything that's in particular that you've uh, like picked up on that are kind of uh, good rules of thumb for gents or they're, they're just dumb things for men, but they kind of don't pan out in reality for women? Are there any things that sort of stand out beyond, beyond the... Um, beyond the, the fasted training? Um, it's still kind of like nutrition focused, I guess, but I, it sounds a bit mental, but like I probably am heaviest when I'm doing an Ironman. Like it's almost like you can see that the hormonal reaction, like cortisol levels, like it's all very different. And then it's the added stress if you are doing anything fasted. Whereas like men, you talk to them and they're like, oh, I can't keep the weight on since I yeah. started Ironman training. Um, I think that's definitely a, a big one that I've noticed. Um, and then there's just like the more practical ones. Cause if you're, if you've got a male coach or you've got, um, you know, everyone around you is, is male doing Ironman. And then it's like, you get closer to the race and you're like, Oh, what am I doing about my tri suit? Like, does it need a built in bra? Do I wear a separate one? Like just like daft stuff like that. And like going to the loo is obviously quite different for a man mm. and a woman. So it's like, do I wear a full suit, half suit? And it's like, all right, a man saying, well, you know, it's a lot more error to be in a full one, but like, practically what yeah. what's that for a girl when it's a you know a bit more of a kerfuffle to go to the loo <laughs> is it is this all things you've had to kind of work around yourself or are there are there decent resources out there for for females um to kind of look at and get a get a more female-centric bit of advice from I think it's like it's way better now and I think that is actually like social media and a lot more yeah. I obviously like I work with with pro triathletes and i think it's it's only just getting to the point now where they're realizing like they kind of have to have a digital presence so then a lot of them now are being way more active in that space and then sharing sharing things with people so that's good but certainly when i started out it was like trial and error you know I, i've done races in two pieces i've done sports bras underneath not like and every race you just test it out yeah i think that's such a, that's just something that obviously this is a male privilege here something that we just don't think about yeah. um, you know and everything's geared you know, to a vast degree everything's geared towards us and our bodies and how we respond to things and i i do i think about this in a lot of sport and this is a conversation that comes up a lot on this podcast not even deliberately it's just something that's it's just happened because it intrigues me i guess that um you I can, I don't, I don't want to say you have to work harder, even though that's actually, I do actually think that, but I, I'm trying to avoid turning up anyone, anyone raising their yeah. eyebrows, but there's definitely more obstacles, right? And there, there's more nuance to, to kind of what you yeah. do. There's just a bit more faff, a bit more to think yeah. about, I think. Yeah. Do you think that's something that's, obviously you've mentioned it already, but something that's getting better, is that something you see a playing field you sort of see leveling out? I think there's like there's biological things we just cannot get around. Like we're always yeah. going to have to. Oh, so about... I don't mean competitively. Yeah. I mean in terms yeah. of um, yeah. I wasn't expect. I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> going to ask you that question. Um, I mean, like in terms of resources. And education. yeah, I think and it, I think it is down to actually like the female pros who have now got a bit more of a voice or a bit more of a presence online, um, which is nice. I mean, makes my job easier, like my actual day job. If if for that and i'm trying to elevate the sport as well like just in general it's just good um and get more more girls into it more females into it um but i think there's still like a massive room for improvement and probably more like science-based you know resources rather than just like personal experiences that people are sharing do you, do you think that's something that is coming along like that's something that you can see 
sort of growing? I don't know yet, to be honest. Like, I don't really feel like there's been any massive changes recently. So we'll see. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate your honesty there. It'd be very easy to kind of look at it with rose-tinted lenses, wouldn't it? And say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all going great. Anecdotally, like, um, I, I mean, I've dabbled myself and I, I was going to, I was actually going to make a joke the other day. I was going to post on Instagram saying, is anyone in the fitness industry not doing a triathlon this year? Because like, I'm in a bit of an echo chamber, but it, it seems like it's growing and growing and growing and people are stepping out of um, other sports or just, just training in general into into try is that is that something you've seen i mean you you've got a great look behind the scenes so can you see the sport growing yeah hugely and which is great because it's you know it's i think the problem is it's not the most interesting to watch which is why it's like not mainstream it's that whole it's like one of the very few sports that doesn't have fans of the sport like everyone is just a participant of the sport and that is the issue and that's like kind of what I do in my day job trying to change um but it's god it's yeah massive like when I first was doing it five or six years ago it was like everyone I trained with was middle-aged men which was fine but you know there was it was, it was almost quite strange. Like, and you still do get the odd comment, but you really would get the comments. Like, you know, if you had an Ironman rucksack at the airport and someone knew it, they'd be like, oh, it's like, like your boyfriends. You know, like it was, seemed a real strange thing for a 19-year-old girl to be doing. Whereas now the circle that I'm in, um, especially in London, I can go cycling with eight girls on a weekend and they'll all be training for an Ironman. And it's, it's really cool. It's like, yeah, we're all doing like really quite tough, hard things. And you know, whereas traditionally it would have just felt like a really male dominated thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I find that uh, absolutely incredible. Is there anything that you think has led to this or is it just something that's evolved naturally or is it a result, as you say, of kind of some of the pros having more of an online presence? I don't know because this kind of came up at um, one of my track sessions recently. It's like everyone now has kind of like, everyone's pushing the boundaries a bit. Like a marathon's not like impressive anymore to people, you know, where it once was, it's like, Oh, they've done a marathon where it's now like ultra ultra running's really getting big and yeah. triathlon is and like the further and the crazier the challenges. And I'm not really sure why, but I'm, I'm here for it. I like it. Yeah. I think years and years ago, and I've never been able to find the reference since I, I might've been in born to run or something like that. I'd read a book and they talked about a study where, basically any any time there's a kind of blip in history of kind of a bit of a shit time uh, there's always an a kind of uptake in endurance people doing endurance sports and they were looking at kind of why that is is it as you said before it's kind of very particularly ultra running it's super accessible triathlons obviously there's a, there's a lot of barriers to entry yeah. there um and i i do wonder if that you know we're in a kind of spiritual crisis as a as a planet at the moment and then people kind of find solace in as you say like as much as i've got i did have there was some boredom for me in doing like really long bricks like going out on a sunday morning at five o'clock and knowing i'm not going to be back till lunchtime those things did start to wear on me but at the same time i can totally see the goodness in like, oh, I'm going out at five o'clock on Sunday morning. I'm not going to speak to anyone until lunchtime. And I'm not an antisocial person, but it's great to have that headspace, right? Yeah, definitely. Just yeah. to get outside as well, because I feel like we've just mm. all felt so cooped up. So it's just quite, quite freeing. It did make me laugh, like 
prior to the pandemic I was always kind of like a bit odd I would spend my whole weekends like training like oh I can't make the barbecue till four because I'll probably still be on the bike whereas the pandemic happened and all anyone could do was cycle or run like it felt like or walk so it's like oh I'm one of the normal ones now this is yeah Yeah, I mean we live out kind of in the sticks but on a fairly main road and there's a we're in a countryside but there's a new-ish kind of new build estate not not too far up the road and the amount of people i'd see running past and you could see they were lost you know they live just up the road but they've only ever driven down here and they're like oh i don't actually know where to go on foot and you could see kind of everyone out in the summer we spent all the time in the garden and you could see that uptick in like oh this guy's been on like sports direct this weekend and ordered himself some like running it's all brand new and everyone just got into it didn't they which i think is ultimately brilliant like I'm, yeah. I'm there for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Is it, is it something that you kind of, I mean, I imagine you do because of what you do for a living, but within the community, the tri community, is it something that's really welcomed people stepping in from, um, from other sports? Like I know at the moment, like so many people I know who are in, I guess, kind of like the strength and conditioning space. Are, are branching out into ultras into into triathlons do you get the i mean you're going to have your finger on the pulse here but what's the kind of the i guess the vibe you get from the the community in general especially people who've been doing it for longer i think especially with ultra running it's like with open arms like everyone is so welcoming and it's like there's from when you're just getting into it, whether you're coming at it from a strength space or like a complete novice, you know, you, and even now, like, you know, I don't know how many more triathlons or of what caliber I have to do them to make me feel like I'm a proper triathlete, but I'll never turn up at a race or whatever and, f- and not feel like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Or they all look really pro and scary. And like, you know, they're probably looking at me like, oh, she's all the, all the gear, no idea. Not, not sure what she's doing, but like no one ever feels like that. And, and everyone's actually, I always say these kind of sports like generally attract really good people. Like, you know, people who are just, they just want to best themselves in some way. They've probably got some demons that they need to run off for five hours or whatever. But like, I think everyone is generally quite welcoming, quite encouraging. And, you know, there's, there's massive communities like on Facebook, like the Ironman journey and, and people ask questions literally all day long. And the, I know the, the race I did at the weekend, just like, everyone was so friendly like I was me and my dad were running through like the middle of nowhere basically and it was I realized it was about four miles till the next aid station and it got really hot and I'd ran out of water and I just happened to say it in passing to my dad and someone else's support crew like someone else's family literally ran after me and was like I've got water I've got juice what do you want and they were not part of the race organization like nothing they were just someone else's like family And I just, I generally think everyone's kind of like that. You know, everyone's quite happy to help. And, you know, I've been taking my wing on loads of rides with people way better than me and vice versa. I'll always say to anyone, you know, like, we'll go as slow as the slowest person, like come along, you know. And I, I, yeah, I've never really had a bad experience and I don't actually know anyone who has had. So I would say most people are are quite, quite encouraging of it. Because I think we all want the sport, like especially triathlon, to be, you know, elevated, like I said, you know, be more mainstream, be something that's like watched on TV, gets more media attention. It'll only do it some favors. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's brilliant. There's that there are a lot of, 
smaller niche endeavors where people can tend to maybe get a little bit closed off and they almost don't want people to be, they don't want to elevate that they might on the surface sort of insist that they want to see the sport grow, but really like so much of their personality is embedded in being, Oh, I'm part of this like small sport. They don't really. Yeah. And I don't, I've never, never experienced that with, um, with, Anytime I've dabbled or had to speak to somebody in the endurance world or the, the tri world, I've found it to be extremely, um, extremely open, extremely welcoming. And like you say, there's so many, there's such a great community online. There's not a question you can ask that someone hasn't asked before and it hasn't been answered 10 times. Like you will always find um, something, yeah. which I think is amazing, especially for a sport where there's, you know, it's a long one of endurance sports, obviously. Um, <laughs> And there's so much room for things to go wrong that people are going to have a lot of questions, right? Exactly. I also think, I don't know if this plays into it a bit, but I think with these sports as well, like people can be so unassuming. Like I think when you turn up at like a CrossFit event, I think people generally look like a CrossFit athlete. Like you can probably tell by looking at them if they're going to be, you know, relatively good. Like I appreciate you can't tell the skill from looking at them, but in terms of like strength, you'd have a better idea. Whereas like, certainly ultra running like you know there is honestly like eight-year-old men who look like if you saw them on the street you'd say oh they probably couldn't run for a bus but there they are overtaking you on an ultra and you're like you know i'm not even i'm slim my 20s so and i don't know if that's why as well like people just are a bit more humbled by that and you know you don't know who you're speaking to like they might be asking you a question but the chances are they could be twice as good as you having never done an ultra race before yeah yeah that that really makes sense i think you remove a lot of that uh preconception then don't you like you know in the gym you just ask the biggest guy and i think without that it definitely removes a lot of um i guess it removes a lot of ego i think so yeah i really like certainly with ultras like it's like my my dad's nearly 60 and he we literally crossed the finish line within like 10 seconds of each other at the weekend Oh wow! And then, yeah, yes. Yeah. Just goes to show, like, yeah, I think it? yeah, it, that kind of shows as well that I think it's in a it's a sport where there's a lot of longevity in it too, right? With more, let's say, more intense, you know, shorter duration modality type sports, like anything like football, rugby. That there's going to be a high, a very low like washout rate. Um, whereas in endurance sports, you see people going for, you know, well into their old age. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, there's some incredible, like there is some incredible people. Like, it always makes me laugh when people say like, oh yeah, but you know, she's in her fifties now and she does really well. And I'm like, there's guys in my tri club are like 75 and they're doing two Ironman a year. Like age really is just not a thing if you are, if you keep yourself fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, endurance sports a weird one. It's I try and explain this to people a lot. That like, yeah, you're going to put a lot of wear and tear on your body, but it's not. I'd always use like the car analogy. With more intense sports, you're redlining all the time. Like you are the you're like the Barry boy driving around town in third gear everywhere. Like your yeah. engine's not going to last as long like that, is it? Whereas with the as hard analogy. as they are, if you know, you know you're. You're, you're a more economic vehicle, right? Doing endurance sports. That's, that's the aim is to be as 
as economic as possible. Yeah. Which is only going to make your, you know, it's going to make your sort of meaty vehicle last longer as such. Yeah, definitely. I've got some uh, quick fire questions here for you that we ask everybody, hopefully looking to sort of build some commonalities and find some tangible, instantly actionable next steps for people. So I'm going to fire these at you now. These always make me a bit nervous. (laughs) I'm just going to quickly interject. I was on a podcast last week and um, he asked me how I feel about flash mobs and I didn't know what they were. And I was just like, oh, I... I've got no opinion on them. And then when I realized afterwards what they were, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm all for them. I would join in. So yeah. And it's, I, not, it's I, like not really a deep thing where you could be like, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't want to get drawn into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if I'm about to embarrass myself, like, it's just a heads up. <laughs> well, no, I can edit it out. You're all right. <laughs> okay, <great>. <laughs> <laughs> if you can make one book or piece of media compulsory reading or watching for either people new to um, training or endurance sports or everybody, what would it be and why? It doesn't have to be a book. It can be absolutely anything. Can I do two? You can. Quick okay. I'd say Atomic Habits. I don't know who wrote it, but Atomic Habits is a really good book. And, um, okay. And function, I think it's called Functional Training by Michael Boyle. It's a really yep. good strength training book. Oh, that's fair. I mean, that this is James Clear's about ninety fifth outing on this podcast because it's just, really? it's just, yeah, it's just such an easy one to reference, isn't it? And it, it yeah. it's almost like, yeah, but it is that good, right? Um, it is. It's Mike so Boyle, good. But that's brilliant. I think that that's definitely the first time that's been raised here, and I know, um, you know, personally, I get asked for book recommendations all the time, and that's the first time one that has come up that I think, yeah, like if you're even if you're just taking your training more seriously, but definitely if you work in the industry, like top, top resource there. Yeah, that's brilliant. So thank you for bringing that one up. If you go back in time and speak to yourself in the first year or two of your training, what advice would you have for yourself and why? I think it would be patience um, because like the end goal, even though they never really in reality is the end goal. Cause it's, you know, cliches is it's the journey. That's the good bit. Um, it's like a lot sweeter when it's taken a lot longer to get there. Like the, the, the harder the graph for it, you know, it just feels so much better. So like you don't want to qualify for Kona in the first race you do. It's, it's a long game and just like consistency pays off. Do you think if you had, if you'd just gone straight into your first race, one qualified for Kona, gone and done it do you think it would be a very different experience for you yeah hugely I don't think I would have like I don't think I'd have been, been as appreciative or you know I don't think I'd have give the distance or whatever the respect that I think it you know it deserves yeah that makes sense the taller the mountain the better the view and all that yeah exactly what one or two daily or weekly habits or actions possibly unique to you do you feel have contributed the most to your success um I'm really relentless with early mornings like I I really am like I am on it every morning not this week because I'm recovering after my race but it doesn't matter if it's like half five every day and I've got you know like a 10 hour work day ahead and then I've got training on the evening I think you know things come up in the afternoon like late work like late meetings yeah. um so just like don't snooze your alarm just like get out of bed don't even think about it have everything laid out and just get on with it and know what you're doing like have a plan i'm very like to do this day before so i know what time i'm training and know what time my first meeting is i think that's really key for me a bit boring of an answer but 
No, I think people vastly underestimate those few hours in the morning. Like what's the expression is like people sleep on it. Um, and it's that time before I would say to people, it's you get a chance to do what you want to do before the world tells you what you've got to do. And yeah. it, unfortunately it is early in the morning and unfortunately, yeah, that whatever, you might have to go to bed a little bit earlier, but them few hours where you're completely in control, right? Before you have to clock in, before everyone else, before their inbox starts getting full, that's the time where you've got the choices. Yeah. The key for me, I definitely make the most, most impact in the morning. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine now, like just like, like people who wake up 20 minutes before they're due into work. I'm like, your life must just be like juggling plates. Like yeah, you are on it, the back foot from the word go. Stressful. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and those, those are the people who complain about their jobs because their jobs are all they do because the, <laughs> they get up and go to work and they don't have that. Like that's your time. Yes. It might be difficult to wake up early for the first yeah. week, month, whatever, but like what you get back from that is huge. Yeah. And it really does become habit and, mm. You just, I actually feel way more productive at work because I'm like, I've got up, I've had an actual morning, yeah. I've had a routine, I've done what I need to do. And then now I'm ready to sit here and get on with things. Yeah, you're warmed up, right? You, you, you've yeah. warmed up for the day. It's like going out and running cold. Like that first mile is going to feel like a slog. And that's your yeah. first two, three hours at work if all you do is get up, like wipe the sleep out of your eyes and get in the car. Like, oh, yeah. oh what yeah. a nightmare. Like, <laughs> those are the words, like, yeah, no, thank you. Can you name one item that you've purchased or acquired relatively inexpensively, but has given you a huge return on your investment, whether that's in your training or your organization or whatever it may be, something that people could, you know, go out and get right now that you think would be a game changer for them? I would say, again, I feel like these are really boring answers, but like certainly in lockdown and certainly if you like time poor for, for training, just something like a kettlebell, like, I, I, I look, I came up, I got about 10, you know, in lockdown of every weight, but it's just, it's so versatile with training. And it's like, literally you can do so much with just one piece of equipment. Like if that's all you had access to, you can build a full strength program around it. Yeah, dude, I've got to say, given that you said, oh, I'm, I'm nervous going into this and I, you, you've actually been the best person that I've ever asked these questions to. Like you, you've got, there's the answer. There's the reason why. And they're spot on. Oh, don't jinx me. If I've got a few <laughs> yeah, left. There's still, there's still one more. There is still okay. one more. Um, but kettlebell. Yeah. Like hundred percent. Like whenever I'm asked if you could only have one piece of kit, it's a kettlebell. Super versatile. Yeah. Like it, it's just a doorstop when you're not using it. And it, it's an exactly. excuse killer, isn't it? It's just an absolute excuse killer because the least you can do is go out and do, you know, a hundred swings and you yeah, can do that exactly. in your living room. You can do that in front of the TV as long as you've got good grip. Um, yeah. If you could only perform one exercise or movement for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? And I will give you running, swimming, biking, all of that. You can do all of that okay. as well, but if you could only perform one kind of, I guess, strength movement or resistance movement. Yeah. For me, it would be running. Um, definitely because apart from the fact that it's like obviously cardiovascular great form of exercise and makes you feel really good there's there's been so many experiences I think in my life where I've said god if I wasn't fit enough to run this I would have never have seen this yeah you know like when going back to that travel thing I guess but I remember doing like a run hike up 
um, a route called Lac Blanc in, in Chamonix. And it's like, you get to the top of a mountain, which is like quite an effort, you know, it's hours and hours. And then there's just like a lake in the middle of the mountain and it's like breathtaking. It's unbelievable. And I like, that's kind of my like general training philosophy is like, I just want to be fit enough that I could say yes to any adventure at all times. You know, like I want to be able to, if you said, let's do a marathon tomorrow, I'd be like, yeah, I'll get around it. That kind of thing. In case it was a really cool one in a, in a location I've never been to. Um, so yeah, running. If, you, if it was a strength movement or a resistance movement, what would you, you could only do one. What would you keep in? You can, you can still run and you can still bike and swim. You can only do one like strength training movement. What would that be? Um, what would I do? Probably a kettlebell swing. Mm. Yeah. So good. Upper, lower, postural, yeah. like slightly metabolic hips. So your powerhouse, your body. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can like use it for really like, I guess that kind of just like strength or if you're like, actually, I just want to flog myself workout. You can do both. Yeah. 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 So the, the moral of this story is get a kettlebell and do more swings and run. Yeah. 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 If you got anything from this podcast, it's that. Yeah. (laughs) I really liked what you touched on there though. And I really resonate with it. That idea of like, never having to say no to anybody. I guess when people ask you that kind of cliche question about what is your why? Like for me, it really is like, so that fitness is never a barrier to something like you never be in that position where you say, Oh, like you said, like I'm not fit enough to do that. Or, you know, I can't experience like missing out on experiences because you aren't fit enough to have them and durable enough to have them is like a probably a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people and it's so easily avoidable right i know you you know you're talking about doing 20 hours of training a week but ultimately a lot less than that will give you a lot more experience right yeah for me like this last year apart from the odd you know i have done the odd ultra but like in between i will tick over at you know maybe 10 hours a week 12 hours a week which is a bit more manageable but it's, it's that, it's like, I don't really need a, it's nice. And I do, I'm a lot more focused if I've got a race or a goal, but at the same time, I'll always be motivated to do that base level of ticking over hours because it is that like, you just don't know what's around the corner. Like, and I want to always kind of be fit enough to, to do whatever. Yeah. I think people go super hardcore with it, don't they? And they're like, Oh, you know, I'm training for everything. I'm training for the, what's the CrossFit one is the unknown and the unknowable, which sometimes I think is a bit disengaging for people because you're like, what, like what the hardest thing you do in your day is go to CrossFit. What you actually (laughs) sit at the office, but on a toned down level. Yeah. Just being able to, you know, just being able to play with your kids or, whatever it is or when so you know someone says hey do you want to come to the climbing wall like to know that yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's not that's not a problem I have a good crack at it yeah 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 definitely i think that is a fantastic note to end on Uh, emily where can people find you online my instagram handle is emily's underscore journal and if you want to join the canes and cake program it's just www.canesandcake.com Lovely. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. And uh, I hope we can catch up again soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Take care, Emily. Bye. Bye. And there we have it. Thank you for listening in. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, it would be greatly appreciated if you could drop us a review on your podcast app of choice. 
any feedback you've got please send it over via social media and don't hesitate to tell us what you would like to hear more of i'm at this has been the bulldog gear podcast thanks for tuning in guys